0: Welcome to Writer's Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBH. I'm Sherry Alexander. We want to welcome our guest today, Chris Sheberg, author most recently of Airportness, The Nature of Flight. Welcome back, Chris.
1: Thanks, Sherry. Nice to be back with you.
0: Nice to see you again. Um, you're an associate professor at Loyola. Yep. But you're from Michigan originally.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Um, before we get into the airport books, you did write about some other things. In fact, when we interviewed you last time, you had written a fascinating study of Brad Pitt.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that book is uh, still out in the world. I recently learned that it is being um, r- released in a new edition in India. The book has done really well in India, apparently. And, and there's a, a, lot of, a large audience for American popular culture in India, not surprisingly. But uh, it's nice to see that book still making its rounds in the world.
0: I know you're Dr. Schaeberg. Is it okay if I just call you Chris? Of course. Please. Disclaimer, <laughs> You, I used to work at Loyola, so you're Chris to me.
1: Right.
0: Um, you also do a series called Object Lessons. Are you still doing that?
1: Yeah, we, we're going to release four new books in March, which will mean we will have published 35 books since we launched in 2014. Um, it's been a really exciting series, and it's ongoing. We have hundreds of proposals in hand, on hand. And we're you talk them.
0: about everyday objects.
1: Yeah, we, each book is about an, an ordinary thing. So we've done books on refrigerator, remote control, personal stereo, waste, dust, silence, all, all these things that our authors have a very a very um, narrow constraint. They have to write about these things in between 25 and 30,000 words or around 100 pages. So we give them that constraint. They have one object and they just write and they, they come from all different angles. They're different styles. Some are more memoir. Some are more Uh, creative nonfiction or cultural history, but it makes a really eclectic uh, group of books. Did did you
0: think of that idea or did did, somebody ask you to edit that? My
1: editor on my first airport book asked me to come up with a new idea for a a cultural studies series. This was back in 2012. And I came up with this idea of object lessons, beautiful little books on single things. And then I started collaborating with my co-editor, Ian, who's at Georgia Tech. And we sort of grew the idea into an even a bigger project that also has an online presence at The Atlantic Monthly.
0: It's fascinating. I, I I was in New York a few years ago at an exhibit, and I think it was at the Met, and it was on teapots. And that reminded me of your series, because, I mean, who would think there would be a whole art exhibit
1: on just teapots? Yeah, it's really, the, the, the series really... Um, Seems to be in the zeitgeist. Uh, there's a I don't know if you saw the new Tiffany campaign where they're selling objects like a like a tin can for a thousand dollars.
0: Oh my or goodness!
1: All these little just ordinary objects for obscene amounts of money, but they too are tapping into this. Are they jeweled or? I believe they're just special because they're sold by Tiffany. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well.
0: <clears throat> But you got interested in airports a long time ago. You worked when you were still a grad student. You
1: worked at an airport, right? right? I worked at the airport in Bozeman, Montana, um, between 2001 and 2003, and I had a, the great job title of being a cross-utilized agent, which meant that I got to know all the ins and outs of every operation, everything, everything at that airport. A small yeah, airport. Small airport, right?
0: Well, and when we first interviewed you, um, I think your co-author in that book, uh, Mark Yakich. Yep. I loved it because you love airports. He does not love airports. And it was one of those books where you turned it upside down or something, yeah. and then you would have Mark's point of view, and then you'd turn it the other way, and you would have Chris's point of view. Yeah. Um, it was fascinating.
1: Yeah, that was a fun book. Before that book, I'd really just done this academic work on airports, and Mark, who was a poet and a, a fiction writer, he really unlocked my more creative side about uh, thinking about airports and writing about airports, which well, I think comes through this book.
0: You've written three books now about airports, and they're kind of academic, but this one is a little less academic. I think this is more closer to a trade book that all of us can enjoy. What do you mean by airportness?
1: Yeah, so by airportness, I, I mean the the sort of overall or or permeating feel of airports and air travel, and what it means to be in that space and time of airports at the gate, at check-in, at security, at the curbside, but also on the plane and the jet bridge—all of these little stages that we go through in an ordinary day of flight as passengers. Um, so I use this term, airportness, and I'm I'm sort of blowing it up from what it has meant for architecture and design. Airportness has meant a very narrow thing, which is just sort of the uh, the structural feel or design feel of airports, and I I want to expand that and think about it more as a psychological, philosophical uh, ambiance as well.
0: Well, your field as an academic is, um, could you call it deconstructionism? It's critical theory. You look at things with a very serious uh, point of view. But sometimes the things are not necessarily academic, like Brad Pitt. Right, Your book right. was Deconstructing Brad Pitt. Yeah. And so you're looking at airports a little differently. It's not something that you would pick up in the airport to to go around the airport and look at it. It's not a guidebook or a travel book or something like that. there's more the philosophy yeah, yeah I, think, that...
1: I think that's right. I mean, with this book, I really did want it to be a little more accessible and more, as you said earlier, for the for the general reader. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to take this, this, I guess, more philosophical look. But but I will say too that I think my my approach to airports has become in some ways less serious and more whimsical or, or more um, playful as as time has gone well, on. Well, this
0: book certainly was lighter reading for mm-hmm. me yeah, than, okay. than the, um, you know, more Academic, yeah. I can say, since I used to be an academic. Right.
1: Um, we grow out of it, hopefully. <laughs> well,
0: being a journalist, I never really grew into it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's another story. A- and you talk about how flight now, we don't romanticize airports and flying the way we did. You're, you people. This is radio, so people can't see that you're a younger man. <laughs> but, but we older people remember when flying was really special. The first time I went on an airplane, we got all dressed up. We wore gloves. (laughs) We were flying from Florida to New York. And boy, I'd never been to New York. I'd never been on a plane. It was a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's funny, though. You know, I'm I'm teaching a a freshman class on airports and air travel this semester at Loyola. And even my 18-year-old students, they seem to know that, even though they're 20 years younger than me. Their
0: grandma told
1: them. (laughs) Yeah, but we we were reading an article the other day about airports of the future. And one of these articles used the word funky to describe these new airport designs. And And students in two different classes picked up on that. And they said, this makes it sound like they want air travel to be like it was in the 60s and 70s. And I thought it was so interesting. They had this, they knew that there was this time, this golden age of travel that we now recognize as being kind of Quirky, you know, modern 60s, 70s, the jet age. They know that even though it was 30, 40 years before they were even alive. And I thought that was really interesting. Well,
0: I, when I was a little kid, we would run out. I lived near kind of an airport. And when jets were breaking the sound barrier, we used to run around and yell, you know, jet, jet, <laughs> yeah. and look and watch the plane and then watch the sound, listen, yeah. and the sound followed. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, but you 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 do it in the form of a one trip that you took. Right. I guess it was a round trip.
1: Well, it was it was a two-leg trip. So Two. it starts early in the morning, has a morning a morning shorter morning flight and then a longer kind of afternoon flight and then I arrive home. I started at a hotel.
0: And they're very s- short chapters yes. so that you could read it on a plane yeah. or wherever, you know, you could just read a few pages and yeah. and you start with the curbside, which I thought was kind of interesting where you're Saying goodbye to one part of your life, and you're like moving into a different realm,
1: yeah, yeah, and i'm I'm in that chapter. i'm I encourage readers to really, if they can, if they can just if they can just w- give an extra few minutes to just pause there and take it all in because I think there's an energy there that we so often just bustle through, get through it as fast as we can to the security checkpoint or to the to the check in stand. but if you but just lingering on that curbside. There's a certain I think special energy there that 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 is overlooked
0: when you talk about emotion, and I w- of course, everything you read, you project your own life, and I was thinking you said there's a lot of emotion, and I was thinking how especially when you've been visiting your loved ones and you're going home, yeah, it's really hard at the airport yeah. you have to psych up. Yeah. To say goodbye. And
1: there's the pressure of, man, we got to get the car moving. We got to get away from the curb. We can't linger here too much or else the police officer will come and blow his whistle and tell us to get moving.
0: Or if you're on a business trip, you know, you're always looking around, making sure you have your laptop and everything you need, your tablet and, you know, papers that you might need for the trip or whatever. Um, And then you talk about the boarding pass, which ever thought about boarding passes as something to think about? I mean, yeah. it was just, it's a piece of paper that you, or now today, just a, a screen
1: on your yeah. phone. Yeah, now it's not so much a piece of paper. It's a virtual piece of paper on your phone for many passengers. Some people still have the, the, the paper tickets, but I was actually at the airport last week and I noticed a, a passenger lost her paper boarding pass and an airline attendant was running around trying to find the passenger. And I thought, wow, this is it's almost quaint. It's it's great. So someone lost a piece of paper, and someone else is helping them find that piece of paper. It's amazing that we still have a place where this this matters, especially in the age of online education and so on.
0: Well, my kids um, make fun of me for I I'd, I'd like to have the piece of paper, and they said, "Why do you need the piece of paper? It's on your phone." Right. And I just keep thinking, well, phones can, you know, the battery could go or I don't know. Yeah, the
1: screen can share. My screen sh- shattered, and so I can't use it to check in anymore.
0: Well, so. Christmas is coming, Chris. Yeah, right. If if Camille is your wife, if she's listening. Laura, Camille Camille's oh, my daughter. Oh, Laura. If yeah. Laura is listening, <laughs> Christmas is coming. Right. right. Um, you talk about uh, waiting around, which certainly... Everybody has ideas about waiting around in the airport. There's people that I know. Some people they want to get to the plane just when it's time to board, right. but you can't really do that anymore with security.
1: Right. No, you have to. You have to bide your time unless you unless you have access to the elite lounge, and then you can wait in the elite lounge to the last moment and run downstairs. And
0: yeah, but I mean, you can't say. I mean, people used to say certain type of person. I just want to get there five minutes right. before the flight, right. but now you're going to have to go through security. No, that's true. That could take
1: yeah. an hour. Yeah, and of course you have the new TSA pre-check, which is trying to mitigate that. But as soon as we have so many people who are pre-checked, that will introduce uh, the, the problem.
0: It's getting yeah, pretty long. Because exactly. I did that. I
1: right.
0: Anyway, um, you talk about you use this term. I don't know. Did you make this up? Gate lice.
1: Um, I think I learned that from my friend Ian, who travels a, a lot more than I do, and I, I saw him use it. And I was I was sort of pondering what that term could mean, especially in this context of what I'm calling the nature of flight. Really thinking about flight as something we're doing as a species. And so I thought, aha, lice! This great little little biological entomological metaphor. What, what is it? What are you using? What does so, it mean? So gate lice are people who who hang out just at the verge of the gate at the jet bridge and they they're waiting and they're maybe they're waiting even a half an hour before boarding and they're kind of inching closer and closer and closer and they, they start to why accumulate. I mean they've got their seat yeah but they just they they're sort of want to be first in line or they want to be they want to be there in case there's a change that they they want to be the first ones to hear about it and so they kind of they, they sort of are this uh, um, they, they 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 collect they move around sort of in insect lice, like around the gate. Um,
0: well, Southwest, there is some benefit. I mean, Southwest, when they first started unreserved seats, it was horrible because everybody would elbow right, people out right. of the way. Now you get a um, number right. of when you can go in right, and you can be in the A-line, the B-line, yeah. or the C-line, but still people... Want to be first, yeah. you know, because you can pick the window or the aisle, whatever. Right, right. Whatever and and interestingly,
1: I noticed uh, last time I flew Delta that they're they they've actually adopted that um, organizational method, even though they don't have open seating, they've they've still want to divide the passengers into zone one, zone two, zone three before the boarding begins. So they've actually so everybody doesn't
0: that. mob the gate at once, right? Right. I've noticed a phenomenon. I don't think you mentioned it here. Um, more and more people. <clears throat> seem to have developed handicaps. On Southwest, I don't know, I can't remember um, the last time I flew a different airline, but on Southwest anyway, you get to board before the people that are in order if you're in a wheelchair. And I see many, many more people in wheelchairs than I used to. And I think, (laughs) think is it really a huge amount of people suddenly handicapped or...
1: Or I noticed um, flying Southwest last week that, that there was um, someone who needed assistance, but they also wanted their whole family to go with them. And there was a little skirmish at the gate where that wasn't allowed. Maybe they could have one person, but not the whole family. But the person was saying, but I, I need my whole family. And there's this moment this questionable. Well, what are we going to do here? There was an ambiguity about what to do with certain types of, of passengers.
0: Um, that same thing was at Disney World. Last time I was at Disney World the whole family tries to go in the handicap line and they've started They'll let one person go and then the rest of the family has to wait yeah. for the rest of the line. Yeah. You talk about, um, I love this chapter. It was about a, an a in-flight magazine called Rhapsody.
1: Yeah, this is the first class magazine on on United Airlines that, that was championed um, a few years ago for having a very highbrow literary quality to it, where they would invite A-list authors to um, to write little pieces for the magazine. It turned out to just be a very small part of the magazine. Most of the magazines just advertising. But I was intrigued from a literary standpoint about the the commingling of, of literature, highbrow literature, and in-flight reading.
0: And you describe the ads or for things like $200,000 sports
1: cars. And right, just little things you might pick up along the way.
0: But you also found out you could download this exclusive magazine. Yeah,
1: it turned out to be not so hard to get, after all, the actual magazine. Yeah, I thought it would be rather tricky to procure a copy
0: is the thinking that the kind of people that fly first class are obviously interested in $200,000 sports cars.
1: Or or at least they should be. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, Also a very interesting chapter to me. You talk about entanglements, things like birds... Hitting the plane, um, I remember I was flying when there was that um, volcano yeah. in Iceland, and right. nobody knew where the smoke was going to go. Yeah, that was very um, troubling. And I don't, I'm not sure you mentioned it, but what about drones?
1: Yeah, well, that's the latest um, thread of entanglement. This, uh, this, the phenomenon where we have little, personally piloted drones flying around, and the potential for interference with aircraft, especially close to airports and airfields, and it's an increasing risk. Are we doing anything about it? Yeah, there, there? yeah, there's 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 concern about it, widespread concern, but I mean, there's also the ramping up of these these drones all over the, the world, really.
0: Well, and Amazon is going to start delivering everything right. with drones.
1: Yeah. It's going to yeah. get
0: pretty crowded up there.
1: Yeah, it might.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you have several allusions to Trump. I guess you were writing this or finishing it during the election season, was
1: that? Yeah, you know, funnily enough, I, I was just finishing it um, dur- during the election season and after, and I, I submitted this on, I think, January 1st <laughs> of this year. And I remember right toward the end, I had this moment where I was I was dealing with a lot of feelings and frustrations after the election. And at one point, I, I, I thought, well, what if I just scrapped the 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 subtitle the nature of flight and what if i called it airportness letters to an american president and i what if i wrote each one of these chapters as a letter to donald trump because trump would say things on uh, during the campaign about how awful our, our american airports were about how terrible this was and of course he has his fleet of private jets so he too had was entangled with the nature of flight as I saw it. And so it was, I guess, a coping mechanism for me to think about this book in relation to Trump. My editor, thankfully, walked me back from the ledge and said, maybe that's not the best way to frame this book.
0: Well, I've been flying into New York quite a bit recently, and I know LaGuardia is regarded as not a fine example of a first world airport, but they're, they're redoing it. Yeah. Are our airports really terrible the way trump President Trump seems to think we have terrible airports compared to other
1: countries. I mean, maybe compared to some other countries, but maybe they're also just airports that in a democracy have a certain amount of um, you know inefficiency to them because they're handling a lot of a lot of passengers and a lot of migration and and movement and a lot of logistics. I yeah I, I think it's an uh, overblown. Claim that they're so horrible. I mean, yeah, they they can be awful, especially if you get delayed. But that's what they are. I mean, that's what airports do is facilitate millions and millions of flight lines every day, and uh, and that's a that's a complex matter.
0: For about ten years in the early part of the millennium, I was going out to Reno every year for a business appointment, and I told them I wasn't going to go anymore if they if they routed me through LAX, I said, like, yeah. any airport, I mean, I'll go to Phoenix, I'll go to m- anywhere, Canada, yeah. <laughs> but don't send me through that airport. Yeah, That's the only one that I really felt really oppressed by. Yeah,
1: it, it's pretty bad. I, was, I, I flew through LAX recently, and, and, and they were in the middle of redoing it, and they had posters all over the walls telling us how great it was going to be in the future, but I, I feel like that's... I mean that's kind of the promise of California, though, too, writ large.
0: It's so always it's going it's gonna to be, be so better. great, and then
1: you get there and you're like, wait a minute, there's all this traffic and smog.
0: Well, you kind of sum it up, and you give us some reasons. At best, what what are airports at best? What can we we can look at them as? What yeah. places of imagination? Yeah,
1: places of imagination, places of cosmopolitanism, places of of acts of generosity, places of of. Of romantic wonder, um, uh, considerations of geography, where we are in in space and time. I think that's what they are at, at best, and 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 they're about human connection at best. They're about people traveling to to meet one another, even though we forget that, as obvious as it seems. I think we forget that when we get so mad about our own.
0: Well, yeah. What do we get? What's at worst?
1: At Why worst, you it, say they're despised. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we despise them because they they interrupt our own personal trajectories. And they, they remind us of how maybe insignificant our own petty little lives are.
0: Well, you, you were, you had a nice review um, by Pete Finney in the Clarion Herald, and you told him you hope people become more contemplative after they read this. What do you you mean?
1: Well, I, I guess I hope with this book that I can give some, some tips or some some ideas for how to how to think about airports differently and air travel, and and I think I mean it pretty modestly that there's a way that going to the airport with wonder, with contemplation, with patience in mind might might produce a slightly better experience, and and that might be infectious.
0: You did give a couple of you know practical tips that. You you might read in a travel magazine you, you, Tuesday and Wednesday it might be better and you know pack light and things like that.
1: Yeah, and even the gate lice. I mean, be aware of gate lice. Don't be don't be a gate lice because they tend to annoy the airline representatives. But also, eventually, you will become a gate piece a gate. You will become gate lice because you will end up in the line inching forward with everyone else. <laughs>
0: um, you you see you see maybe the end of airports what what do you mean is it going to be no more air travel or or what
1: well i think there will be air travel for quite some time human air travel anyway but um but i think that i think yeah as we talked about earlier the the golden age of travel if there ever really was one widespread that's diminished i don't think we have the the widespread um romantic appreciation for for flight um and i think that increasingly we we have uh, a competing competing demands from our s- smartphone digital technologies these things that really are competing for our our presence and our attention and they there's an uncomfortable coexistence right now between smartphones and airports and as smartphone technology gets better and better and better i'm curious to see what'll happen to s- actually moving our bodies around which seems increasingly maybe clunky and old-fashioned.
0: I mean, you wrote The End of Airports. So. Yeah, that was
1: my that was my second book. Yeah. yeah. Well, and th- and in that book I really meant the end of airports like like their purpose, their function, what do they do? But I wanted it to have that play on words to also be are we reaching the end of airports as we've known them? Will we shift into something else with as you said more drones, more remote piloted air, aircraft where autonomous cars are actually transporting more people than small regional jets, and I think that's that's quite likely.
0: Well, we have cars now that go above the ground. At yeah. <laughs> what point do they become air travel? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, there are, that, that's a fantasy that's that's been uh, nurtured for a while, the idea of just the, um, flying cars, and every few years you see some new development, but usually soon after there's a crash or funding is pulled out.
0: What's next for you? Are you going to write another book about airplanes? Yeah, or? I told my
1: editor that I was done with airports now, but I I am working on a new airport book. I, I I'm ashamed to say,
0: but this um, one might be fiction. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm toying with fiction. It's been a new um, experiment, and it's been really fun pushing me in in some new directions. But I'm I'm toying with a a novel about airports in the in the near future. Kind of take, picking up on, so it wouldn't
0: be all science
1: fiction no but it would be <clears throat> it would be speculative a little bit
0: well we'll have to invite you back then
1: that sounds great
0: <clears throat> well you said your <clears throat> last um, book was translated or one of your books was translated in in India or somewhere and doing well I guess the Brad Pitt book yeah but um you're really known for your airport books and I like the Times Higher Education said, I thought this was high praise, Schaeberg, excuse me, has single-handedly invented the rapidly ascending (laughs) field of airport studies. So that might make you feel pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's been, I mean, there have been plenty of really smart people who've written about air travel and airports over the years, but I I feel like I am bringing something slightly different just with this uh, humanities angle and thinking about the philosophical dimensions of, of flight and not and not letting it go, not moving on to, some people say, oh, why don't you move on to bus stations or train stations? Well, I think I'll stick with air travel. There's still a lot here to explore.
0: Well, and it's nice to be seen as the expert in a, in a field. Um, well, thank you. And you've been listening to Writers Forum. And of course, we want to thank our guest today, Chris Shabird, author most recently of a interesting little book, Airportness, The Nature of Flight. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.